Hi, I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Beth McGee, CBF's senior water quality scientist. We're going to have a conversation about stream restoration. But first, let me give you a little background and draw in an, an analogy. One of my other great interests is medicine. I grew up in a medical family, and I'm on the board of Johns Hopkins Medicine. And I've often been struck by the similarities between saving a complex system like the Chesapeake Bay and addressing human health issues. There's very rarely a simple path, and there's very rarely simple, there are very rarely simple answers. We learn more in terms of environmental policy, environmental solutions, just as we constantly learn more about medicine. I think you'll see a little bit of that in our conversation today with Beth McGee. So with that, Beth, let me thank you for joining us and start with a basic question or two. First, the most basic, could you describe the condition of many of our urban streams within the broader Chesapeake Bay watershed? Sure. Thanks for having me, Will. So if you think about what our urban streams look like, what you'll often see are very straight streams where the banks are eroded. They're what scientists call deeply incised. So there's a big gap between where the water is and where the shoreline is. Um, and as a result of that, it's, it's pretty poor habitat for the critters that live in, in our streams. I mean, I know this is a complex question, but but what is causing these problems? What are the couple of main drivers? So historically, when we were building our streets and our, our houses, we wanted to get water off the pavement as quickly as possible into storm drains and ultimately into our streams. And so it's this high flow in these areas where we still have that kind of old way we did polluted runoff control. Uh, we have uh, cases where you get a lot of, when rain comes, you get a lot of flow going into the streams, and it basically blows out those streams. And when we talk about this concept of stream restoration, give us a sense of what, we're, what we mean by that. So it's basically trying to recreate the natural form of the streams. As I said, our urban streams are not natural. They're almost like little channels with eroded stream banks. So stream restoration is really trying to recreate more natural streams. So that means more curves in the stream, sort of sinuosity, reconnecting what they call the floodplain to the area where the, when the water rises should kind of fill over into the adjacent land. So reconnecting the, the stream with that floodplain is what we're talking about in terms of stream restoration. And the, the, the purpose of that, I assume, is to bring back natural functions of streams that have been lost? That's right. So natural um, habitat for the animals that, that live in the stream. Um, and also what scientists have found is that natural streams actually do a much better job of re removing pollution than do these, these urban kind of eroded streams, degraded streams. N nature is remarkably resilient and natural functions to actually mitigate the impacts of human development 
are, uh, are, are ripe in nature, and streams are just one example of that. That's right. So we, we know, for example, from some recent work that if we, if we reconnect the stream to the floodplain, so in other words, when the, when the flows are high, if the water's allowed to connect to the adjoining vegetation, that there's pollution removal, removal of nitrogen, it also can allow sediment to settle out. So that's, you know, the, the resiliency and the ability of nature to sort of clean itself, but it's what we're missing from many of our urban streams right now. So we know that this is, this is a goal and objective we're trying to reach, but it seems as if recently there's been a lot more interest. Uh, what, what's driving that interest? Is there any uh, overall scheme in the Bay Watershed that's, that's pushing us that way? Right. So the, the cleanup plan, the, the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint, which is what the states and local governments are trying to implement to reduce nitrogen and phosphorus and sediment uh, loadings to our local streams, rivers, and the, ultimately the Chesapeake Bay, um, local governments are looking for what they can do to reduce pollution coming from their urban areas. And so many of them are looking at stream restoration. As I mentioned, there are nutrient removal benefits associated with stream restoration. So, and so many local governments are looking at that as, a, as something that they can do to achieve the pollution reductions that they need to under the blueprint. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the major sources of pollution, whether they be industrial, sewage, atmospheric, agricultural, the urban and suburban runoff category is the one category that has continued to increase even as the others have begun to come down. That's, that's right, and that's because we continue to develop land. Um, and it's also the most expensive thing we need to do to, to um, save the bay. So, Okay, so now, pardon the pun, but let's dig a little deeper into this stream restoration concept. Can, can you give us a sense of just how we do restore these streams, what specifics are involved to better enable them to remove more of the nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediments coming into the... So in some cases, it, it is, as I said, reconnecting the floodplain, so the stream to the floodplain. So that could mean coming in with basically backhoes and, and removing dirt and so that you create this uh, less of a distance between the stream and the floodplain. So you're basically kind of uh, flattening it out, if you will, which slows the water down and also allows the water to um, to interact with vegetation that you would plant in that floodplain. Another example is uh, putting in boulders and things, again, sort of recreating the sinuosity, the curves in a stream, and also putting some big boulders in that will have the same effect of slowing the flow in the stream down, again, to, to allow the uh, pollution removal processes to occur. Mm-hmm. Well, these are these sound logical. They sound like no-brainers, some pretty positive outcomes. But now let me come back to that analogy to medicine that I mentioned at the outset. I recently read in a Maryland Sea Grant publication that there is some new evidence or, or evolving evidence and evolving uh, ideas about just how well stream restoration works and where it works and where it doesn't. Can you give us any insight into some of the new information, the new science behind stream restoration? Sure. So first of all, we don't have a lot of monitoring data to say how well many of these projects work. It's a fairly new science, and unfortunately, we like to implement a lot. We like to monitor less. And so, so some of the claims, some of the concerns that have been expressed about stream restoration are related to are we giving them more credit than they deserve in terms of their pollution removal capabilities? So the worry is, is that 
restoration projects that could have a great deal of benefit in terms of uh, local habitat, um, even beautification, making streams more attractive, may not be actually reducing the pollution as much as we have thought in the past, and then that would affect how the computer models are, are programmed. Well, that and it also affects how where a local government's going to invest their money. If they think that they're going to get a lot of pollution removal benefits by doing a big, expensive stream restoration project, then they're going to invest in that. If the benefits are less, they might choose to put their money elsewhere. And so that's sort of the, the dichotomy. And, and getting to your, your analogy of the patient, stream restoration is very expensive. It can be very invasive. Ultimately, what the cause of our, our stream, urban stream problems are is what I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which is that it is the, it's the polluted runoff, the volume of water that's coming off our landscape because it's hitting paved surfaces and it's not soaking back in. So part of the controversy is related to do you do something in the stream and kind of ignore what's going on upstream, or do you try to, to address the ultimate cause, in this case of the patient, the ultimately can you do what you can what you try to do upstream to reduce that flow of pollution um, before you go in and, and recreate the stream? So am I being overly simplistic in saying the goal really should be addressing the problem before it's addressing the source of the problem before it's manifested in a major problem and then trying to fix that? Starting at the source, reducing the amount coming in rather than fixing the patient or addressing the patient's needs after they have already become sick. That, that's, yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And w w our position is, or the I guess the science would suggest that it's not that stream restoration is never appropriate. It clearly is. Um, it can have a lot of benefits, but but ultimately we also need to address that, as you say, the, the ultimate source of the problems, as well as sort of fixing the what has happened downstream because of those earlier problems. So I guess to summarize, and uh, it would be helpful to, to, to sort of try to state CBF, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's position on stream restoration, because this is something that is certainly um, uh, in the news a lot. A lot of people are working on it. Volunteers like to work on it. Governments are looking at it as a way to meet their requirements to reduce pollution in urban and suburban areas. So if you could just sort of re um, restate your thoughts and how that uh, translates into the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's positions. Sure. So I, I think the bottom line is that stream restoration is not a one-size-fits-all for the, the problems of an urban stream. Um, it, it certainly is appropriate in some cases, but that requires looking at the stream type, um, how much flow is coming into the stream, a lot of complicated science per se before you decide that that's the appropriate remedy as opposed to doing pollution control measures sort of upland and upstream of those. So it is appropriate in some cases, but not all. And our concern is because of the pollution reduction removal efficiencies attributed to these practices that it may be sort of oversold and local governments may, um, may implement more of them than are really appropriate. Do you, do you have confidence that the scientific community is working on this and that we will have better answers in a year, two, three? 
Yes, I think so. There was a recent report that came out of the Chesapeake Bay program that looked at stream restoration and how much pollution removal credit should be given to them. And it, it did have some, some qualifiers in there, many of them that I've relayed today. Uh, I also think that there is increased interest in doing more monitoring of these projects, so we'll have a much better sense of how well they do work under different um, scenarios. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Beth McGee, CBF's senior scientist, and I guess the one thing I would draw from all this is the, uh, the, the standard of medicine, which is prevention is the best cure, certainly applies to pollution and cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay. There's always more to learn. Um, we would have fixed the Chesapeake Bay a long time ago if it were easy, but we've got uh, the best science in the world working on it, and here at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, we've got some of the best advocates uh, working on it. So thank you very much, Beth. And if uh, anyone wants to learn more, please visit Chesapeake Bay Foundation's website at cbf.org.